All right. Now, real quick, if you guys want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we are about to enter in to the last message of the camp. Now, like we've said from the very beginning, the purpose of this camp was to get you guys out of the normal pattern of your life, away from the distractions of life, and into a place where you could think, learn, and develop relationships. But the issue is a lot of times you have camps that they end and all of the benefit and impact that comes from that camp is completely gone in three days. And the issue is that's not what we want for you guys. That's not our goal for you guys. Our goal is not for this to just be some random little blip in your life that you proceed to go back home and do nothing differently. The purpose of this has been twofold. Essentially, this entire camp is a gospel presentation. We talked on the first night about the wasted life. Basically, you could call that the non-Christian life. We talked on the second night about what the gospel is, about when you see life for what it is, when you see the value of God, and then you accept Christ as your Lord. You live having Jesus being the most important thing in your life and just having that be your pattern. And this is supposed to be a call to people that aren't Christians to first of all, see life accurately, to see God accurately, and to make that step. Because anything else that you do is ultimately not going to matter if you stand before God and you face judgment. And yet, if you're a sinner, and we all are, that's what's coming without Jesus. So yesterday was the most important lesson that we had this week. But what about if you've accepted the gospel? What if you hear yesterday's message, you become a Christian, is that the end? Is, are you done? Or is there a life to be lived? I, yeah. Some audience participation. I'm welcoming that, by the way. Um, And what we're talking about today, we talked about the wasted life. We talked about the entrance into the well-lived life. And what we are talking about today is walking the well-lived life. We're talking about what the well-lived life is after you've accepted the gospel. What do you do? And now at this stage, I want this to be, you know, captivating and interesting. And some people, when they're trying to do that, they make like a lame extended metaphor and they just kind of follow that through the entire lesson and they use it as a complete crutch because they're not that interesting. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use a cool metaphor. And I'm going to use that for the entire lesson. But I'm going to talk to you guys about the battlefield of the world. I'm going to talk to you about the battlefield of the Christian life. And the first thing that a battlefield needs is a battlefield needs a mission. And this is our mission. This is the mission given to us by Jesus Christ himself after he had lived, died, and risen from the dead, risen from the dead, risen from the dead, This is the mission that he had given us. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because the issue is you are not the only person on earth. And while your salvation matters, genuinely, Once you've become a Christian, what you're going to look around and see is a bunch of different people that are living the non-Christian life just like you were. You're going to go out into the world and you're going to see more people that, like you, need the gospel. And the mission that God has given us as Christians is not to sit back, to go to our church services, to sing praises and read our Bibles and be good Christian girls and boys and yet never go out into the world and save the people that are dying. We are called to go to church. We are called to read our our Bibles. We are called to be personally faithful, but everything that you do in this life is a part of this mission. And there is no part of the Christian life, no part of the Christian life that is not somehow related to this. Our mission on earth is to be missionaries, all of us. 
doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you are, that's your job. Question? Yeah. Lay it on me. Outside, there's just a bunch of people dying, spurting blood everywhere. But you're yeah. all medics, and you can literally go outside and save them. But you don't. But you should. Exactly. It's very much like that. And the issue is that we have this mission, and it's important that we are recognizing the value of that. So we're going to talk about the battlefield that this mission is taking place on. So the first thing that we see is that our battlefield is the world. First of all, this is a battle. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And when we're talking about this, the thing that we need to understand is that sometimes we look at the world around us or we look at the country that we're in and we think that we are on friendly ground. We think that this is our territory and that we're going into friendly ground. And that's not the case. If you are a Christian, this is not friendly ground. The world is not friendly ground. The world is behind enemy lines, and that's where God has us. So when we're talking about the battlefield, talking about the battlefield, when we're talking about the battlefield, you see that the world is the battlefield. It's not any specific place in the world. It's the entire thing. This is Jesus talking about Christians, and he says, as you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. We're not meant to huddle back and be hermits. We're meant to be missionaries. And so some things that we need to understand about the world is that this is Satan's world. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And it's not just that people in the world are being deceived and held in the chains of their sin by Satan. But if you read John 3, 19 through 20, just after John 3, 16, Jesus says, and this is the judgment, the light. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be um, exposed. I can read. So the thing that you see is that, first of all, Satan is actively deceiving people. This is the world we're going into. Satan is actively deceiving people to keep them from the gospel. But it's not just that Satan is actively deceiving people. It's that people are actually happy about it. They like it that way. They want to be deceived and they are choosing to let Satan deceive them. So you're going into a world where you're trying to free captives and the captives are perfectly happy behind their bars. And the reason that we're talking about this is that anytime you go into a battlefield, it is important to understand the lay of the land. It is important to understand the situation you're going into, and it's important to understand what your enemy is going to do. In the Revolutionary War, the British came on to the land of the colonies, and they were marching in battle array, shoulder to shoulder, expecting the Americans to do the same. And then the Americans, they hid behind trees and sniped the officers. And the British faced a battlefield that they were not expecting, that they were not prepared for. And are we doing the same thing? Are we going to go into the world thinking that this is friendly or are we going prepared? But the issue is this. It's not just understanding what's going to happen when I get to the battlefield. I mean, when you go into a battlefield, the enemy doesn't just let you take their base. They fight back. And so what we're going to start talking about now in 1 Timothy 4, we're going to talk about what is one of the ways that Satan fights back. 
What is one of the ways that Satan is going to assault your ability to accomplish your mission? And if you read with me in chapter 4, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from the foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Which something that I do have to address reading that, when it says everything, for example, he's not saying, if you say a prayer of thanksgiving, you're good to eat some deadly nightshade. Like, this is not necessarily a blanket everything. But this is to say that there was a common thing, especially back in this time, you had things like Judaizers going through and telling Christians, you have to obey the Old Testament law. You have to fulfill these different rules by what you eat, what you don't eat, and that kind of thing was going on. And so don't, like, come to me and say, hey, John, this this Bible verse says that I can do heroin. No, it doesn't. I'm just going to get that out of the way. But here's why we're talking about this. This is the way that Satan fights back. This is the way that Satan is going to ruin your testimony in the world. Satan is someone who fights through lies. In the Garden of Eden, when Satan wanted to doom an entire race, he didn't do it with a knife. He didn't do it with poison. He didn't do it by using the snake's fangs to bite Adam and Eve. He did it by lying to them. And the exact same way that Satan's primary mode of destruction back then was dishonesty and lies, he does the same thing in the modern day. Where he is going to send people, and Satan is like a guy in camouflage with a knife in his teeth, crawling into the enemy camp, getting into the church, and he is going to try to poison it. And one of the ways he does is with false teachers. And I want you to notice, it says, through the insincerity of liars, actually, I'm going to skip earlier, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Goodness gracious, what could the teaching of demons be who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods? Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear Paul go on a tirade about dishonesty, seared consciences, and the teaching of demons, I'm thinking he's going to say something like, who say that God's not real, Jesus was just a man, and the Bible is a work of fiction. I'm expecting that kind of stuff in this list. And then he says, who forbid marriage and tell you you can't eat certain foods? It's not that that doesn't matter, but is that really the thing I was expecting? And the issue is this. He could just as easily have said, who allow for things that God doesn't allow for and forbid things that God allows. In this case, he says, who forbid marriage and for um, who forbid marriage and the eating of certain foods. He could have said, who allow homosexual marriage and allow the eating of foods God has forbidden. That would have fit just as well in this verse. And the issue is this, any doctrine, anything that departs from the truth of what the Bible says is a doctrine of demons and it is being used by Satan to destroy your ability to function in this world. And so the issue is this, when you are going through your life, when you are in the world, you are in Satan's world. And when you're in Satan's world, you can kind of anticipate that lies are going to come your way, but it's not just when you're in Satan's world, it's when you're in the church. 
You're going to listen to people who call themselves pastors. You're going to listen to people who maybe they are Christians and they are doing genuinely their best, but they slip up sometimes. You're going to listen to people, be it your parents, be it pastors, be it other people in the church, other Christians, who are going to use their mouths to tell you the things that Satan wants you to hear. You are going to hear people who teach you the teaching of demons. And the question is this, how do you know the difference? When I'm talking to you, when Tommy is talking to you, when your parents or your pastors or anyone else or your friends at school are talking to you, do you know the difference between the truth and teachings of demons? And do you tell that difference by what you like to hear and what you don't like to hear? Or do you tell that difference by what God has said? Because the issue is this. If Satan is going to fight against you using lies, the way that you prepare for that is by knowing the truth. So if you are a Christian, you need to understand that you need to be reading the Bible. You need to understand the Bible. And I'm going to give you this example. In Paul 17, 10 and 11, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, which is high praise, by the way. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, here's the thing. Paul is the one who wrote the book that we're reading right now. He wrote 1 Timothy. He wrote a very large portion of the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were written under Paul's supervision. And Paul, the Apostle, capital A Apostle, Paul, who is way more faithful than anyone else that you will ever experience, Paul, who wrote Scripture, when Paul went to a group of Christians and he was preaching to them, they were examining the Scriptures and checking up on him. I am not as faithful as Paul. Not Tommy is not as faithful as Paul. Tommy is not as faithful as Paul. You are not going to find a Christian who is as faithful as Paul. And when Paul is looking at these people who were checking up on him, he doesn't say, don't you know who I am? He says, good. That is exactly what you're supposed to do. And if you guys are going to, in, to go into Satan's world, a world of lies, if you're going to exist in the church where Satan is trying to deceive even the pastors, you need to know the Bible. I cannot be your source of truth. Your parents cannot be your source of truth. Your pastors cannot be your source of truth. God's word has to be. And that's where we start. But once we've understood the lay of the land, the next thing we need to think about is our training. You know, when someone comes into the army, you don't just hand them a rifle, dump them in the Middle East and say, good luck. You spend time training them, making sure your investment isn't wasted and ensuring that they're going to be able to survive. So what is our training? Well, let's read again. So if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because our, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And so the thing that you need to consider is you need to know what your weapons are. And in the Christian life, our weapons are few. 
in Ephesians 6, 17b and 18a, it says that we attack using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. When Paul is talking about the armor of believer, the only aggressive weapon in that entire list is the Word of God used in prayer. You need to be building up your own personal relationship with God. You need to be praying. You need to be reading. Question? Can it be the gun of the Spirit? Sure. So you need to be praying. You need to be reading. But it's not just learning information for the sake of winning a game of Bible trivia. Reading the Bible is not actually valuable in and of itself unless you are using it to grow. For example... When you have a soldier and you're training that soldier how to use a rifle, you're not doing it so that he can go off and win a marksmanship competition. He needs to be accurate because when he is at war, if he can't fire his weapon properly, if he can't uh, handle himself properly, he's going to die. You're going to lose that battle. You're not doing it for the sake of the information. You're doing it because there is something you need to accomplish. And in the Christian life, you are reading the Bible and you are learning what God has for you because there is something you need to accomplish. What you learn is never separated from what you do. It can't be separated from what you do. But I want to show you something else. In verse 8 through 10, it says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. And I'm going to stop there. And the issue is this. No soldier, when he is living in the battle, is thinking to himself, man, I've got it pretty good here. When soldiers were in the trenches of World War I, fighting what seemed like a pointless battle that was going to have no end, going, like, gaining ground, losing ground, they were having trouble with trench foot, they were having disease go through and ravage them. When they were living one of the worst experiences that has ever happened on this earth, they weren't in those trenches thinking to themselves, man, this is awesome. I've got a pretty good deal here. And in the same way, when we are soldiers, one of the things that we might get tripped up with is that we look at the life we're living now and we can kind of get distracted by the comfort that we have. And we can kind of lose our focus on our mission. But the point of training is that we are setting our hope on the living God. Those soldiers in World War I were not keeping themselves alive by thinking about how great their day-to-day was. They were desperate for the time that they could go home. They were desperate for the time that they could get out of those trenches and go back to their families, go back to their friends, and go back to some semblance of normalcy. They were living on hope. They were trying to survive so that they could live to see that day. They were trying to win so that they could end the war quicker and get to that day faster. And as Christians, we aren't living for this life as we've already established. But the thing that is going to constantly motivate us and give us strength is when we remember what we're going home to. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. This is not our home. This is our battlefield. And we need to be looking forward to heaven. We need to understand that something better is coming. That we are fighting and we will eventually get to go home. And that needs to give us strength. But then we go on. We've talked about our battlefield. We've talked about the lay of the land. We've talked about how we train. But what are we going to do once we actually get our boots on the ground? What is our battle plan? And I want to actually show you, I quoted this earlier. I said, John 17, 18. I want to show you what's just around that verse. 
Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. When God is looking at his people, when Jesus is looking at Christians and sending them into the world, can you tell that he thinks the truth is pretty important? That when he's thinking about sending us in, he cannot separate that from our reliance on the truth? Because remember again, what was Satan's primary weapon? Lies. Lies. Satan's primary weapon is lies, which means that when we are going into the world and we're fighting against him, our primary weapon is truth. We are here to know the truth and to preach the truth to the world. And I'm going to read the next set of verses. It says, command and teach these things in verse 11, if you want to follow along. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Which at this point, it's important to give you some context. This book is written to a guy named Timothy, who was pastoring a church in Ephesus. And so this is specifically written to a pastor. But it doesn't just apply to pastors. Every single Christian has been given the call to be an agent of the truth. Every single Christian has been given a call to know what the Bible says. And even if you aren't standing in front of a church, preaching the word of God as a pastor, you have friends at school. You have people that are going to see you who know you're a Christian, who are going to ask you questions. Is what you tell them the truth or doctrines of demons? You're going to have opportunity after opportunity in the church to give people encouragement or to give people rebuke and is what you're going to say the words of the truth or the doctrines of demons? Every single Christian, regardless of their age, has been invited into this work. And something that I want you guys to see is that he specifically says, let no one despise you for your youth. And this isn't talking about getting into an ego battle. Like if someone says, oh, you're kind of young, you're not going to be like, well, you're a hag. Like, it's not about giving like an ego bat or anything along those lines. It's about living in such a way that your youth is not an excuse for your immaturity. Your youth is not an excuse for you to fail at your mission. Every single Christian has been given the spirit. Every single Christian has a call to be learning this and to be getting better at it. This isn't something that starts when you're 30. The Christian life doesn't start when you've got three degrees and when you're entrenched in your job and you're raising kids and you're an adult. The Christian life starts the moment you believe and you have been invited into the work of the gospel now. The Christian life starts as soon as you become a Christian. And if you are young, you are supposed to learn to be righteous. Like kind of notice that we're talking about truth, but it says set an example in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, which For my youth group, we just finished a series on 1 Peter, which is about sharing the gospel with your life, sharing the gospel with how you submit to authority, sharing the gospel with how you submit to leaders, how you submit to employers, how you suffer, how you exist in marriage relationships. And everything you do is supposed to be demonstrating that you are living the life that God has commanded you to live. And when you live like that, people ask questions. 
And in 1 Peter, he says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks, for you are a reason, or for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. When you live the way that you are supposed to live, when you exist and you are training yourself and you are learning the truth and you are living out the truth, people see that and you're going to stand out. And one of the main venues through which you share the gospel is through your life so that when people ask questions, you can answer them and say, oh, I live this way because of the gospel. Let me give it to you. But beyond that, have you ever had someone who was so eager to give you a message, but everything in their conduct completely invalidated what they were saying? Like one thing that I think about is growing up in the church, you kind of see how sometimes there's always those people who take it upon themselves to help your parents raise you. Like, you know what I'm talking about? I know I've experienced that, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. And have you ever had someone who every time you see them interacting with another person at church, they're just a jerk? They're always trying to get their own way, but then they come to you and they talk to you about what it means to be polite. And maybe they're right, but you don't care. Don't let that describe you. Have you ever been someone in a high school, in a junior high, in life, functioning like a heathen? Behaving the same way everyone else behaves, doing the same things everyone else does, living in sin and not caring... But then when you give them the gospel and you say, oh, this is why I'm so different. This is what you need to do. They're going to listen to you. They're going to care what you have to say. You're going to say, I'm so different because I believe the gospel. And as you're saying that, they're going to look at you, look at your life and say, ah, you and I look the same. What was that you were talking about? And so the issue is that when you're going into the world, you need to pursue holiness, but you also need to know the truth. You need to learn what the Bible says. You need to obey what the Bible says. And that needs to be your source of truth. But you also need to follow it. It's not just about having head knowledge, being able to win a game of Bible trivia. It's about living it out, being able to share it, and then going into the world, functioning as missionaries wherever you are. At your school, at your job, it doesn't matter. Pastors is not, a pastor is not the only person that serves God. You don't need to be doing professional ministry to serve God. When you are existing in the world, your job is to go wherever you are and be a missionary there. And if you're going to do that well, you need to be living based on the Bible. You need to be living for the hope of heaven. And you need to understand the world that we're in because it is not a friendly world. So with that, let's bow our heads, pray it out. We'll have some small group time. And then pretty soon we'll be getting out of here. Lord, thank you that you don't send us into this world blind. Thank you that you don't just send, this in, send us into this world and leave us here to be lax. But you have given us a mission. You have made us co-workers with you in the spread of the gospel. You have made us agents of salvation. And Lord, I pray that we would see the life that you have given us, that we would understand that the Christian life does not end with conversion, but the Christian life starts at conversion. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that there is absolutely no Christian who has been excluded from a life well lived, a life of labor for the gospel, a life of pursuit of you. I pray that you would help us to see that this isn't something that we're supposed to put off for later, but that this is something that we are supposed to do now. And I pray that you would ignite a fire in the hearts of the people that are here that lasts more than three days. 
Lord, I pray that there would be a commitment to you that lasts for our lifetime. And if that starts at this camp, then thank you. But for those where it started earlier, I pray that this would encourage them and give them something to live for and to help them to see what their mission is. And I pray these things in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right.